Hey, with Docs, what's going on, bro? What's going on? How you doing, bro? I'm good, I'm good. Good, 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 man. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is the start and the beginning of the Billionaire Lessons podcast featuring my good friend, Edward Doxon. Appreciate so, it, man. Yeah, man. This is episode one. Um, I wanted to bring Ed on as, you know, during my process of just growing throughout college, my matriculation as a man, Ed has been an avid piece of that. Um, and in school, you know, we went through different things. We went ups, downs, trials, and tribulations, but we always had each other's back. And, you know, peace, because a lot of times people have friends and they're going through things and they always feel like, I, I don't know who to turn to. You get what I'm saying? But you never know who you can turn to until you uh, ask for help, until you have that prayer partner, that accountability person that's helping you out. So that's why I brought Ed on to talk about, you know, paying the purpose. All right. So, Ed, um, for you, like, just tell us about yourself, background, uh, what you're about, what led you to even who you are today. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, Edward Dawson, I'm the third to be exact. (laughs) I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C. Graduated, of course, from Delaware State with you, earned my bachelor's degree in social work. Um, You know, growing up in D.C., um, similar to many other urban cities, such as New York, Chicago, and Philadelphia, faced many challenges, um, challenges. And, um, you know, when you talk about pain and purpose, that's really where my, I would say, my initial pain came from was growing up in D.C., you know, um, unfortunately, losing different friends to, you know, the criminal justice system, um, homicide, whatever the case may be, Um, just experiencing those different things that a lot of underserved communities go through. Um, the biggest turning point for me was losing one of my closest friends. Um, and that was Ryan Harris, who was killed in March of 2008. So actually, you know, going on 10 years ago. And um, that for me was just life changing. Um, you know, when Ryan died, um, it kind of like uh, woke me up. Um, and I looked at it um, now. It actually was a blessing in disguise. Um, and I say that because it really changed my way of thinking. It changed my motivation. And still to this day, you know, that's really one of my biggest motivators as far as uh, wanting to be successful. So, um you know, going from um, experiencing that um, loss of Ryan, you know, it really was a turning point for me where um, I had to distance myself from, you know, my community. I had to distance myself from my friends. And these are people that I know since I was three, four years old. So, you know, as a 15 year old, that's a tough decision to make when, you know, all you're trying to do is find your identity. All you're trying to do is, you know, be around people and go through those things and experience that adolescence um, upbringing. So for me doing that, um, it was tough, but, um, it just got to the point where I was like, you know, this isn't it because Ryan's death wasn't the first. It wasn't the second. It wasn't the third, but it was the closest to me. And it kind of was like the icing on the cake. And I was like, you know, I said, you know what? I don't want to go down this road. I don't want my mother to have to get that call. I don't want my mother to have to see me in the visitation room. So I distanced myself completely. So, you know, um, when Ryan died, um, I attended his funeral. And when I attended his funeral, um, the former mayor, Adrian Fenty, he came to the funeral. So I remember sitting there in the funeral. And the first thing I'm thinking is, I'm like, man, what was Ryan into that Fenty is at his funeral? But um, he was that type of leader. He was that type of mayor where, you know, he was hands on, especially when it dealt with homicides in the city with youth. You know, he made a way for his, him and his office to be there in support. And at the funeral, I met a guy by the name of Sean Goff, who um, was a community outreach specialist for Mayor Fenty. And he gave me and my friends different, you know, his business cards, you know, hey, come talk to us. You know, we want to help you guys, you know, get some opportunities and this, that, and the third. And 
of course, initially, like my friends, you know, we originally just thought, you know, man, it's just a political spill. And, you know, you guys are acting like you care. And, um, you know, it really wasn't that. Sean really is a genuine guy and the guy that I'm still connected with to this day. But long story short, um, went downtown to the Wilson building, met Sean. And that's when I became a member of something called the D.C. Youth Advisory Council. And the D.C. Youth Advisory Council was an organization under the mayor's agenda to get youth involved, expose them to community engagement, um, expose them to the political process and just figure things out. And that's really where I got my first real introduction into politics and policy. And I started to see how it was so much connected to the things that me and my friends were going to. So uh, going through. So, you know, looking at things where we lack resources in our community, always want us to have a recreation center and things like that. So I started to learn about the political process and realize, you know, all of this plays into the policies that are shaped and what the leaders are doing for us. So um, going through there, you know, really was a turning point for me. I was able to be around positive people from different areas throughout the city that I probably never would have connected with. Um, even people who um, were, um, were not from the city, but, you know, they maybe had just recently moved to D.C. So it kind of just started exposing me and things like that. And I'll be honest, when I first entered the program, I was extremely shy. You know, I didn't want to talk. And um, the director at the time was assistant director, Rebecca Thompson. You know, I remember Rebecca would always call me in meetings and things like that. And that always used to happen to me, not just with D.C. Yacht, but just places in general. You know, I would try to come in, be calm, relaxed. Someone would always call me like this. And it was like, um, I started looking at it like, you know, what are people seeing in me? Like, I'm just trying to be relaxed and do something positive. But I'm like, why are they calling on me and putting me on the spot? But um, what I didn't know then is that it was preparing me for, you know, everything now and everything that I went through up to this point, as far as just being a leader, being a public speaker, uh, being a problem solver and things of that nature. So um, taking that pain to purpose, uh, what you're talking about, is actually, you know, something that I um, didn't discover. I, I knew what exactly pain and purpose was, but though this is that term, I didn't discover actually until I got to Delaware State. There was an alum by the name of Ethan A. Smith, and I remember reading the book, and she said, you know, when you find your pain, you find your purpose. It's a book called There's More Sad. And I remember reading the book. I, kept, I mean, remember reading that one part and kept going back, and I'm like, wow. So at this point when I got to Delaware State, I was trying to figure out what am I going to major in? Um, of course, you know, I'm like going to college. You know, the thing that you tell us before you get to college, go to college, you can get a nice job, make a lot of money. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to major in marketing. I'm going to major in, um, you know, business finance. So started to look that stuff up. But it was like, no, nah, I'm not really feeling this. It was like I was just thinking that was the thing to do. So when I read that and then the time was an RA, um, good friend of mine, Tanisha, she was a social work major. So when I read when you find your pain, you find your purpose. I immediately thought about Ryan. I immediately thought about, you know, Dante, Antonio, these are some of my other friends who, you know, went through things such as, you know, being incarcerated um, and things like that. And I said, you know, when you find your pain, you find your purpose. And I connected that. And I remember texting my uncle, like, hey, man, I figured out what I'm going to major. And I looked up social work. I looked up what's the purpose of it. And um, that's where it came. And I majored in social work not only because I wanted to get a social work degree and I wanted to get a job in that field, but majoring in social work helped me understand more of the things that I went through when I was growing up in D.C. It put things into a different perspective. You know, my favorite class um, that I took there was human behavior in the social environment. So, you know, taking that class taught me so much just about the actions that my friends, you know, um, the actions that me and my friends, you know, were um, um, performing when we were growing up, the things that we were getting into, how we were influenced by certain things. And some of these things were negative. Some of these things were positive, more so negative. So, for me, um, you know, paying the purpose now and fast forwarding from Delaware State up until now, you know, I was so active on campus. Um, I was so involved in the local community, the Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, that stuff is definitely tiring. But my pain was, you know, 
Ryan. And I'm like, you know, I don't want a teenager to have to go through what I went through with 15 losing his best friend. I don't want another teenager, you know, to be killed. Unfortunately, this is something that we're not going to be able to stop completely. But I say, you know, I want to be able to play a part to reducing, you know, the homicide rate, whether it's uh, of youth, whether it's in D.C., whether it's in Delaware, Philadelphia, or whatever the case might be. Right. Right. Uh, and, and and the same thing goes for me. Even, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and, you know, different neighborhoods, you see different things from gang violence to everybody that wants to be in that get money quick schemes and mm-hmm. everything like that, man. And just when I was at Doe State, you know, that's why I majored in psychology, because I was a kid that used to see a lot of things in my life. And I didn't know how that would pretty much impact like my mental health and the different things that I was going through as an adolescent. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have to use that pain to fuse what their purpose is within life. So me, you know, and I think for the both of us, it's helping people, um, especially with people that share the same exact stories as myself. My mom used to tell me, um, my mom is a breast cancer survivor, you know what I'm saying? And every time she finds out somebody has breast cancer, somebody is sick, n- no matter what it is, she was like, that was my pain, but my purpose is always to reach out, to always be there. If, if she got to be next to them in a the hospital bed, my mom is really that type of person, like, I'm going to be there with you on the ground up to help you through that issue and problem. And she reminded me, she said, you don't go through things just for yourself, but you go through, it, go through certain circumstances in life to encourage and move other individuals, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll be selfish if we go through something and get out of it. And then if somebody going through the same exact thing and we're not reaching back out to them right. to help them and push them to be better individuals, you know, so um, <clears throat> that's what it is, man. And, and people need to start understanding that more and more that, you know, being servant leaders and helping other people out and just that's how we all can make a difference, especially in our African-American communities. Right. Um, and Ed, I wanted to ask you too, like, if if what's some advice you would tell somebody young coming out of D.C. that's seeing different things that got that lost friends to incarceration, that um, I lost friends through death, and they like, I right, God is not on my side. All these bad things is happening to me. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, what's some brief advice you'll give them to help help them keep moving toward their purpose. Yeah, definitely. Um, the first thing is, you know, you have to expose yourself to different things. Um, and I say that because, you know, it got to the point where, you know, not just for Ryan's death, but, you know, it came from anyone growing up in D.C. They know. And it's unfortunately still going on to this day. You know, you have Saratoga Avenue. You have Langdon Park, which is less than five minutes away from each other. You know, this is an ongoing feud that's been going on since I was a kid. So it actually got to the point where, you know, leaving out the house, traveling to D.C., um, on the uh, metro rail system and dc is small you know you're running into different people but it got to the point where i really did think you know one day i make it get shot one day i make it get killed because that's the type of neighborhood beef that, this was, um, that was going on and it wasn't to the point where you know i was heavily involved but you know growing up you pick your friend your friends are usually based off your neighborhood and whatnot and um you know i guess i was affiliated by association and you know it was times when some of my friends were killed were shot um and whatnot so the thing for me, like I said, was exposure. So what I would do, and it's funny because still to this day, um, I'm, all my friends joke and say, you know, Ed, you always hang out in Virginia, you know. And we want to go to the movies. Ed doesn't go downtown, which is closer. He goes to Virginia. But it goes back to when I was in 10th, 11th grade, you know, after Ryan died, I would purposely just get involved in everything in school. So, you know, if it was the um, Future Business Leaders of America Club, if it was the student government, 
I didn't care what it was. I just got so involved to something to keep me away from my community. And sometimes, too, um, it, it was females that kept kept me away from my community, too. But they would lead you to travel as well. But um, the main thing I would do, I would get on the train in D.C. I would ride out to Virginia. Um, if anyone's familiar with the DMV, you know, you can get to Virginia in probably 10 to 15 minutes. So I would ride out to Virginia, Clarendon Boulevard, Tice, well, not Tice Point, Clarendon Boulevard, Pentagon City, all these different areas. And sometimes I would go there to the mall. Sometimes I would just go outside of the mall, walk through the neighborhoods, and I would see the big houses. I would see the people in the Starbucks, you know, drinking their coffee on their laptops, having business meetings and things like that. And I would just sit there like, you know, I'm going to get this one day. You know, it's, uh, it's a Barnes & Noble out in Clarendon that I still go to to this day. And I really would go in there and I would get a book, um, read different books, um, learn about different stuff. But just I was getting out of my environment. And what that did for me was showing me like, man, it is more out here. You know, if you're growing up in those circumstances where you're only seeing drug dealing, you're seeing neighborhood beefs, you know, your neighborhood isn't in the best condition. But I was able to get on the train and within 10, 15 minutes be exposed to a whole nother type of world. People out there that don't look like me, um, you know, just everything was just so bright and it just kept me motivated. Like, man, you could get this one day. I didn't know how I was going to get it, but you could get this one day. And um, one important thing, and not just for youth, but for anybody, you have to have a mentor. Um, I'm lucky to have right. the same mentor since 2008, and that's uh, George Rice. And George told me in 2008, dim your current desires for a brighter future. And that stuck with mm. me. I repeat, you got to repeat that <laughs> one more time. Dim your current desires for a brighter future. And, you know, that stuck with me. And it's something I still use today because, I mean, I'm 25 years old. You know, you're still young and you want to do so much stuff and be involved. But, you know, dim your current desires for a brighter future. And I've always been the type of person who's always thinking about the future. So, I applied that to my life and got so much assistance from George just developing um, as an individual and uh, my family as well. You know, not to count on my family. My family definitely is a super, super supportive and great support system. But, you know, when you're growing up as a teenager, you're out and about, you're in school from seven to three. You may have after school activity, you're doing something from four to seven. So you're not really around your family as much as you, you know, as much as you really think you are. So those outside sources, mentors and teachers and people like that, um, they were there for me, and it's um I would say a gift that I'm still happy to have. You know, I don't I don't even say I don't know how I I knew do know how, but I will say it is a God given thing where it's kind of like people gravitate towards me, and I'm able to really just you know build those natural relationships with people, and that's how my teachers were, and um this is still going like to this day. So you know, being around those positive people, but more importantly, older people is what helped me because you know whether they were teachers, mentors, someone in the church. You know, they were, they all were once 15, 16 years old before. They all went through, um, not all, but some of them went through, you know, losing best friends um, to, you know, homicide and um, criminal justice system and whatnot. So for me, um, it was just having the people there to kind of, you know, pretty much kind of guide you and, you know, don't allow you to make the same mistakes that they, ma they made when they were your age. Right. And that's key, bro, because I was thinking about it um, in my time just when I moved out to Memphis, Tennessee, and talking about just changing your environment and everything. Um, I mean, my boy, Isaiah uh, McCoy, he's like, bro, you got to understand if you want to grow, you got to put yourself in different environments mm -hmm. to see if you get able to handle it, to see, you know, when it's times that could bring you down, you're out there by yourself and you have that individual strength to bring yourself back up. And I think a lot of people get lost in that. You know, they feel like they got to be around the, the same family, the same people all the time. Right. You never know. Like you can find um, a new friend. Uh, future husband, future wife by putting yourself in a different situation, different environment, mm -hmm. you know, because think about it in Brooklyn, you know, gentrification and stuff is going on right now. But for the most part, um, it's been the same since I was younger. 
And I know DC is pretty much similar. You know, of yeah. course, gentrification is going on in all our environments, but it's still that same dude in that corner. It's still that same homeboy that's only, you know, talking about money and girls. But let's let's talk about like investments. Let's talk about how we're building one another. Let's talk about these different things. And when I moved out to Memphis, going to a PWI, I seen that shift of culture compared to HBCU and uh, um, predominantly white institute. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the only, what, I was probably like two black kids in my classes, um, majority white. So it, I, it helped me just even my dialect, my uh, my approach, my study habits. And I know you go to a PWI as well for your master's mm-hmm. and you see the difference of like our work ethic compared to being at HBCU and just the relationship building and networking there compared to a PWI and that, and just the different effort and things we got to put in because it's, it's nothing is easy, but we see how we could turn it on and off as well. Like we could turn right. like, yo, what's going on? Talk to our culture, but also we know we could sit in a room with a Fortune 500 company now and just how we express ourselves is so much different. So right. I think we people need to learn different tools and get equipped by putting themselves in different predicaments and environments in order to excel. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, man. But that quote, dim your current desires for a brighter future, I might get that because that's real. Yeah. But, um, but also, like, I want to know because I remember um, when I was growing up and now, and, and I think a lot of people need to understand that patience piece. Like, you went through that step by step, you know what I'm saying, from um, when you was 15 years old until 18 and figuring things out, you know what I'm saying, and having mentors. And, and then in college, I would say you were fortunate enough at that moment in time to be able to, like, shift your mindset and say, like, all right, I need to make these decisions right now so that my future will be bright. Mm-hmm. But there are people right now that's in their 20s and 30s that's going through situations and they just like, I right, I don't know how to handle it. Or they're pretty much like taken back by it, you know? And then in itself, they're like, all right, I'm, I'm just, I'm this age and this is how I'm going to be. And whatever just happened in my life, boom, this is how I'm going to go about it. But for you, like, what would you say people need to start doing when they endure situations what is that shift of mindset what is to help them like i I need to make these decisions now because god is trying to give me a wake-up call like i need to start paying attention right yeah um i think it's you know like i said definitely exposure and guidance but um i think the main thing i would say for that is that you know you gotta really just know yourself and observe yourself and i say that as far as even if you may not know what you want to do you may not know which direction you want to go just knowing you, knowing yourself, and knowing yourself, I say, just observing, you know, certain ways, knowing what makes you tick, knowing what encourages you, whatever the case may be. And I think, like you said, God is going to definitely send you certain signs if it's a wake-up call or or how you need to adjust your life, um, you know, things of that nature. So I think the best thing is just, like, you know, just really being observant of yourself. And I think sometimes, not even just youth, but adults, whoever, I think that's um, something that a lot of people don't um, aren't able to do and just going back to exposure how you just say you know going to Memphis and you know McCoy telling you about um, being uncomfortable that was for me you know when I went to um, when I was living in Vegas you know it was a tough transition for me I mean going from college right into the workforce 3,000 miles away I'm 3,000 miles behind I say 3,000 miles but 3,000 miles away I'm three hours (laughs) behind time and um, it was just a tough transition but being alone living on my own 
Um, and I had a good network of friends there, but, you know, mainly spending that time alone, I really got to observe myself more. I got to notice, you know, maybe certain things that people told you about before that you didn't know. So, you know, my mom always said, you know, you have the biggest moves. So she's so moody, you know, just like your dad, you're so moody. And, you know, man, what you talking about? Mom, I ain't moody. But then I'm by myself and I'm just starting to notice, you know, how my moves can go from high to low in a matter of a second. And then in that process, I started to learn, okay, how do I combat this? How do I figure out, you know, what could keep me happy or what affects my mood and things like that? So I think that main thing is just really, you know, like you said, getting uncomfortable. You know, don't be afraid. It's like now where I'm at in Baltimore, you know, I could have said, hey, I'm going to just commute from D.C. to Towson, you know. But I'm like, you know, no, let me go to Baltimore. Let me be out there on my own. Let me go to a new city, even though it's right up the road, you know. But coming here and being alone and, and having to adjust now to here. It's great. So, you know, going from D.C. to Delaware, going from Delaware to Vegas, from Delaware back to D.C., from D.C. to Baltimore, these have all been different situations and different points in my life that now I look at. And even been back when it was the toughest thing to go through in certain, some of those certain situations, I now appreciate it. And I now learn, you know, what I learned from that situation. It's so much stuff that I look back on when I was in Vegas that now I still carry with me to this day and realize, you know, okay, you can't do it like you, you know, you can't do things how you did it this time because you know that didn't work. So now I know how to address it in a different manner. So, right. I mean, thanks for that, bro. Um, so I want the audience and anybody listening to hear, like, uh, Ed, if you want them to follow, follow you on social media, drop your social media <laughs> handles right now so that they can follow you and just, you know, yeah. following your journey, man. Yeah, I'm on Instagram, dreams by any means. Everybody knows that. <laughs> That's what an S bad dreams by any means. I'm on Twitter at dream by any means. But the most important social media platform I'm in, I'm on that's LinkedIn. And I say that because mm-hmm. a lot of people our age, a lot of people in college, man, even people probably ten years older than us, you know, um, they don't have a LinkedIn page. And I think as a professional, especially people in college and trying to go into the workforce, you know, and speaking from me, you know, studying HR and being in the role now as a recruiter and working with different recruiters, you know, people use LinkedIn as a way to see beyond your resume. So LinkedIn is kind of like a digital resume, but it's more that you can add on there. So Edward Doxon, D-O-X-E-N, Edward Doxon III, you'll see me on LinkedIn, but I encourage everybody to get a LinkedIn um, as they're trying to just grow professionally and whatnot. Thanks, man. And definitely, like, this is just the beginning of episode one. Brought my brother on, and we're going to bring him on <laughs> again, especially to talk about um, building your brand and um, just career development as mm-hmm. he's in the HR and these different things. I, since I know Ed, like, this man has had probably 5,000 internships, <laughs> 100 jobs, like, you know what I'm saying? So my man is going to definitely come back on and drop some more gems. But, you know, um, follow me as well on Instagram, billionaire is without the I at the end, underscore lifestyle, you know? Episode right. one, paying the purpose. Let's get it.